When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Jack Farley. It is Wednesday, August 4th. I am joined by uh, market veterans Peter Pinkasov and Weston Nakamura. We're going to be analyzing everything in markets just to give you a sense of what is on our radar today. Today, we had two pieces of divergent economic data in the U.S. with a negative employment reading from the ADP, uh, 330,000 new hires falling well short of expectations. However, only a few hours later, investors saw a very different picture with the ISM services uh, reading blowing past expectations to the highest level in the history of the data set. And now let's put up a chart of the 10-year bond yield. You can see that the bond market was very confused um, at 8.15, yields crashing before uh, uh, exploding higher at 10 a.m., the release of that uh, other data set. And lastly, how could we this be a financial analysis news show without mentioning that uh, Robinhood, uh, ticker HOOD, exploded higher 50%. So uh, a facilitator of meme stock has itself become a meme stock. Uh, I want to start with you, Peter, on the bond market. What did you make of this dynamic where yields shot down and then exploded higher uh, within the past two two past years? How did you digest this? Yeah, thanks, Jack. So from the get-go, we woke up this morning, uh, NYC time, and bonds were, no surprise, up again. We saw some headlines yesterday about, uh, I forgot the name of the hedge fund, but a pretty big macro fund taking about a 10% loss on the fixed income side, which is, you know, it's not the end of the world for them, but it it definitely is noticeable. And I think that hunt for positioning was definitely felt over the last, you know, five, six days or or so with that real thirst for duration. And again, like I was saying, we woke up this morning and there was a really strong bid once again. And we had the data come out about um, ADP, where, like you mentioned, we fell short by about 300,000 on that number. Bonds ended up ticking higher. And again, I, I, another washout on, on the short side for a lot of folks. But then towards the 10 o'clock time, ISM services came in at the highest that they've ever been, which is just really, really divergent. Like you said, too, that ADP news number, because I'm looking at the ADP uh, numbers and actually the greatest uh, month over month change for that ADP was the leisure and kind of services sector. So it is pretty interesting how divergent that was. So, yeah, we saw we saw bonds come off. They've stabilized quite a bit, but we almost had a entire full point range in the 30 year future. So that's not a, you know, a meager move by any means. And we're still holding well above uh, the highs that we created about uh, a week and a half ago. I think this level is pretty important for a lot of reasons. Uh, Tony Greer mentioned it yesterday on the daily briefing. I think he's spot on about this kind of risk award uh, situation here uh, in this level. You're seeing you know, a lot of these leisure and service stocks down at these levels. I know Weston on the Real Vision Exchange, you've, you've talked a lot about this uh, 10-year yield idea as well. Do you want to get into it a little bit about what you're seeing on the bond market side? Uh, 
yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, everything that you said certainly was a futures-led move on both of those prints, tail to, um, you know, bond markets. Huge, huge volume um, and, and notional that went through. Um, and that, yeah, that fund blow up too, that's not something to brush off either. I mean, there's probably some unwinds and some uh, repercussions and echoes that are going to, you know, follow. This is just what we found out via Bloomberg uh, today. But uh, so it's a really good point to bring up. Um, yeah, what I pointed out was, you know, because I, what I try to do is I, I, I don't necessarily try to look for these things, but I kind of stumble across some weird sort of correlations. Um, uh, they don't, they're not necessarily causations. They could be to totally coincidental. But the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield seems to be the kind of the center of the universe for a lot of very disparate things. Um, and I point this out in my note. But anything from you know, uh, the auto sector to crypto to, um, you know, pair trading asset managers against each other to, uh, you know, meme stocks. They all seem to revolve around 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. Um, you know, get into to further detail on that. Um, but uh, as far as the, the you know, the, the yields themselves are concerned, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you really have to be kind of front and center focused on, you know, the 10-year U.S. Treasury. And Weston, I want to ask you, what did you make of the sort of twisting and ultimately flattening in the yield curve um, that we, we saw today? What do you think it, it indicates um, about, about the economy? And also, how do you think that asset markets react to it when, when we have a flattening of the yield curve like we've been seeing? I, I wouldn't really put any one sort of um, intraday move towards a um, indication of where the broader economy is. That's just um, more so just kind of positioning, uh, either getting into, or usually when it's something that sharp, it's most likely you know a bet gone wrong and, and exiting. It's panicking rather than uh, rushing in, per se. Um, so I, I wouldn't really be able to glean anything from you know, a, a sharp one-day move um, or even you know, a few days move. Um, Simply from you know, or about about the, the broader economy as a whole. Um, but what I could say though is that those sort of moves definitely do have um, an effect on cross asset markets, um, on you know currencies, certainly certainly on equities, on, on single stocks, on the index level, on the sector level, um, you know commodities across the board. It's cross asset and, and crypto as well. I want to flip back to you, Peter. You've been tracking the ten-year yield against. Uh, very short duration assets like financials, like banks, insurance companies, energy companies, as well as just natural gas. Uh, what did you see today that either confirmed or or went against that trend? Uh, you know, today was a little bit of a choppy day, actually. I mean, if you're if you're trading the S and P in a short term basis, the opening range was about three points. And the move to the low was about seven points before rallying back up to the middle of the opening range. So, um, and the average true range is about 40 points. So, if you think about that, you know, seven points out of an average true range of 40 points, it's actually kind of a, you know, a meager day in, in that regard. And I have, you're right, I have been looking at the 10 year yield as kind of a lean for some of these trades, especially in the short term basket. You saw a lot of these. You know, uh, reopening trades still on the weak side this morning out the get go. You did see a little bit of a rally, but like Weston was saying, I, I don't think this day really solidified 
any of the price action. Um, it, it seems like it's not going to be something that's that's going to be oblivious over one day. It, this thing might, you know, like a reopening theme might take more than just a couple days or even a week to play out because some of these some of these data points are getting divergent. Where you're seeing strong parts of the market, especially in the services side, like I was talking about before, and a lot of these uh, stocks are back down, kind of to their. Uh, you know, kind of near COVID levels. I was mentioning RCL earlier. Um, you have to keep right, in mind that Caribbean, right? the Caribbean. Royal Caribbean, yeah, yeah. CCL2 getting down there. But the thing about these names, and uh, I try to keep my fundamental hat off a little bit. You know, I went to school for finance and did the whole MBA thing and know pretty well about, you know, companies' financials and all that. But markets don't always trade off that. And um, you know they, they do have really bloated balance sheets, right? They've taken on a lot of leverage, a lot of debt. So mo most of it, the reason why you're seeing it trade, I think, to the 10-year yield so much is because it has become a levered bet basically on a reopening. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, yeah, on reopening and on uh, yields, I'm, I'm glad you just talked about just how divergent that data is. And we talked about this in the, the intro, but actually, let's put back that chart of the ADB employment number. So, not only did it um, uh, severely underperform expectations um, at, at, at uh, 330,000 relative um, to what was expected. But the lowest estimate of the 30-some 30 30-odd 30 um, uh, economists was 500,000. So it was lower than the lowest estimate of 33 estimates by over 150,000. Now let's move on. So that was obviously a negative reading. Now let's move on to the US ISM service region. As we mentioned, this was the highest reading that we've seen in the history of the entire index. And of course, a reading above 50 indicates economic growth month over month, while a reading below 50 uh, indicates con contraction. Um, above 50 is, is economic growth. Um, so let's uh, put that chart down. I, I just wanted to give people at home watching a sense of just how confounding this data is, where you, you know, typically one uh, negative data point, you'll, you'll sort of see a pattern. In the same way, if, if GM is down, you expect Ford to be down, you know, most days, but that is not what we're seeing in the economy at all. Um, Weston, now I want to go to you because uh, as much as we can talk about how uh, strange today's price action is, uh, and, and by the way, one thing I noticed is that even though the indices didn't budge that much, that the action within the indices was huge, where the stocks that were up the most were up something like 10% in the S&P, whereas uh, like Moderna, whereas GM, you know, the stocks that were down were down close to 10% as well. That's huge moves. Um, but Weston, what I want to uh, ask you about is Robinhood. Of course, this stock that IPO'd recently, um, it is a facilitator of meme stocks where a lot of retail people can get exposure to stocks. They have been using it to uh, sort of participate in the meme stock phenomenon. But now, Weston, it has its, it itself become a meme stock because it is up 50% today, a wild surge. Your thoughts? Yeah, that, I mean, I was expecting you know, another 25% after yesterday's 25%. Um, but that that was quite a move. So just break to break down what happened, right? Um, yesterday, you see this no news sudden rally um, of, you know, like 25% on, on Robinhood that following a very weak um, out of the gate uh, IPO. 
Uh, and no, this isn't because Kathy Wood took a very small stake, because if you look at Coin, um, which she also has a stake in, uh, share yeah, Coinbase, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Coinbase. So um, basically yesterday, you know, what I was doing was I was kind of looking around and trying to find out, you know, how long after an IPO and what kind of, con you know, conditions and cr criteria need to be met in order to have options listed for that, uh, for that stock. And it turns out that Robinhood has basically ticked off all the boxes. So things like, you know, has to have a minimum seven million shares float, you know, 2,000 individual uh, investors listed on, you know, one of the major exchanges, so on and so forth. And then they need to tr uh, trade above $3 per share for five consecutive days. That would be today. So that was buying in anticipation of options being listed today. Options were listed at, you know, pre-market. And then you see the same story over and over again, where the you know furthest out of the money nearest dated call option just get a ton of um, you know capital flooding in. Uh, it was basically like twenty dollars or so out of the money at the open, um, then went well into the money, like fourteen dollars into the money um, in just shortly thereafter. Um, and so what you saw yesterday was basically within Robinhood, uh, or I'm sorry, within like the, the meme stock universe. You have flows out of AMC, which was the frothiest of of all of them. Um, you have huge, you had huge volume. Um, you know, hedge funds are in this name and everything like that too. It's not just retail flowing out of Robinhood uh, uh, or flowing out of AMC, sorry, and into Robinhood, and it kind of looks like an alligator's jaw, like um, uh, in, in in chart terms. Um, <laughs> you know, directly from from one to another. And you can see it, you know, you can see them kind of like, you can see like the, if you stack them on top of each other and you invert one, you could see that AMC sells off shortly thereafter, you know, HOD rallies, right? So, um, and then the implications of that are, are not, this is not just about meme stocks either, right? Um, because this is the active flowing capital um, that is moving things on the margin. So what you get is something like um, crypto, for example, like Bitcoin, you know, that's been selling off. It's been selling off in tandem with, um, with um, you know, uh, um, AMCs, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Robinhood AMC, all that. Because essentially what, uh, my, what my thought was, was that you were going to get a sort of new bull market in crypto. This is going to be my kind of big call that I was going to make um, because of all the flows coming out of AMC that would then find its way back into crypto just as it kind of rotates in and out throughout 2021, except this time that was intercepted midway through via uh, Robinhood listing options. And so that kind of put like a, an interruption, like halt going into crypto as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Weston, quick question. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, Jack. Uh, we, before the call, we we briefly talked about Robinhood, and I made the joke that oh my God, these Robinhood options, you know, the out of the money ones, they're trading at three hundred percent implied volatility. And then you said something. You said that's probably pretty cheap, and I just laughed and I thought, wait, he might actually be right. Do you want to ex elaborate on that thought a little bit, based on what you just said about the rotation out of AMC, maybe? Sure. Um... So um, AMC is traded at you know what 500 vol before you know um, so basically when something is trading at like a 300 vol um, it's this equivalent of Robinhood's uh, price to earnings ratio being 2700x um, something like that at a 40 billion dollar valuation it's probably it's far more than that now what that means is that if there's a PE ratio of like you know thousands or like a 300 to 500 vol instrument it means that 
traders are not looking at implied volatility or price earnings ratios. It means that those metrics are not very relevant at all. So um, they're interesting to look at, but they're not. Um, they shouldn't dictate like, uh, yeah, the stock is expensive or this option is expensive. Like, yeah, it's it's ex extremely ex expensive, and it certainly can get a lot more expensive. Um, and then you know what I'll say too about Robinhood is, um, so I was on the daily briefing the day that they filed, and so I had to kind of quickly flip through that day. But I was thinking about this notion that what if Robinhood itself becomes a meme stock? Um, it could actually become a interesting and or kind of dangerous situation because Robinhood, if you recall, in January they had to block buying of GME options or GME sh um, shares, on, and that obviously you know made their users very angry. Well, Robinhood isn't really that much more capitalized now to be able to handle you know, an insane amount of flow um, to post collateral for. So what happens in a situation where Robinhood has to block buying on HOOD shares? Um, that, that's not going to go over well for, for, the, for HOOD shares, for, um, and then for maybe even the broader market if much of this retail activity uh, is you know supporting the upside in in broader markets and in in, in sort of individual stocks. So it's something to definitely keep an eye on um, as they continue to list higher and higher strikes and more and more people just pile into that very uh, most out of money call option at the lowest dollar value, uh, and then that gets in the money and then the cycle continues and then Robinhood gets that three AM tap. I'd like to define a few terms uh, for our audience who may not know what implied volatility is. It's basically a measure of how much traders think a, the underlying asset, a, a stock or whatever, is going to move. So when GameStop has a vol implied volatility of 400, its options, I should say, uh, traders are betting it's going to move wildly up, you know, 100% over the next month, or you know, up 10% a day, up 20% a day, or down that same amount, whether it's a call, which is a right to buy something, or a put, a right to sell something. When uh, you know, so let's say Walmart, which is a you know quite a boring stock, uh, and I mean that in a good way, has probably has an implied volatility of something around 17, whereas Tesla has an implied volatility of 60. Now Apple's probably somewhere in between there. So when uh, Peter says the implied volatility of of these Robinhood options are at 300 or whatever, that is extremely high, and very rarely uh, is it is it a good idea to buy options that are so richly priced. Um, however, this year has, has sort of challenged that thesis. I also want to introduce the term gamma squeeze. When there first was the huge shoot up in GameStop uh, in late January of this year, there were two reasons assigned to it. Aside from you know the, the fervor, the speculation, the narrative, let's get beyond the narrative. I'm talking market mechanics, short squeeze and gamma squeeze. A short squeeze is when people who are short the stock and they have to buy it back as the stock goes higher and they, you know, they either have to post more margin or they have to buy it back. And it's this reflexive loop. A gamma squeeze is when, uh, let's see, well, it's when investors buy options on a stock, let's say call options, and the dealers who sell those options have to buy that stock. And as the price goes high, it's, it's higher, they have to buy more uh, of the stock it's, itself. And I actually heard that a lot of the GameStop stuff was not so much a gamma squeeze as much of a, a short squeeze. Weston, do you think, to what degree do you think the short squeeze dynamic is in play here? or? Or it is the gamma squeeze dynamic here, and why? Um, I, I, uh, to be honest, I don't know, but I would, I'm going to guess the way that the options are trade or the underlying is trading. It's most most definitely on the latter side, the, the gamma squeeze side, the options side, and not so much a short um, side. Because um, 
you know, most of the active traders within HOD would be HOD or Robinhood users. You can't short on Robinhood. I don't know if people know that. Um, they don't allow for shorting um, on Robinhood. Um, certainly, a lot of people tried to short Robinhood um, in the institutional community, and they learned a bad, you know, they guess they didn't learn the lesson from GME. Um, but you know what's happening with that trade specifically is the, with regards to AMC is that they're moving from the trade to the picks and shovels of the trade, right? Uh -huh. So they're no longer betting on AMC's directional; they're betting on the picks and shovels of people who are betting on AMC directionally. Um, so that's where that kind of flow goes into. And then I also bring up to that bring it to bring it back ten year U.S. Treasury yields for people who are saying like, what does this matter? Like, what? Why does this? Why should I care? Um, I brought this up a few weeks ago um, as you know potential um, alternative explanation, additional explanation for why Treasury yields are falling. But if you just look at uh, a chart of AMC, just look at a ten-year U.S. Treasury yield um, chart, and you just lay them on top of each other, they're you know, I mean, they they match like uh, like almost tick for tick and intraday basis, which is kind of incredible, but certainly on like a you know a one-day basis from the point in which. Um, uh, AMC skyrocketed in the beginning of June. And you had one trillion dollars worth of uh, options trading notional. Um, so that's something that's you know like this kind of stuff really does impact broader uh, cross asset markets, uh, including yes the U.S. Treasury market, um, as, at, at least the ten year on the ones. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. I should say, uh, Weston, you've got a very detailed note on the Real Vision Exchange that uh, I've been reading to sort of uh, prep for this, this, this interview. Um, so people, I can post the link below. People uh, can click on that and, and see all the charts and your analysis, you know, the specific criteria that uh, the OCC requires for options to be listed. Very detailed, very in-depth analysis. Um, Peter, did you have anything to say on this, whether on Robinhood or you wanted to move on to oil? Um, no, I think it's it's very interesting to see this. It, it feels like it's um, you know we're all sitting at a theater and the next play with a with a slightly different script is happening. Uh, and when it comes to options and Robinhood users, I the Hood IPO I think is just another stage for something to happen. I don't know what. Um, obviously, I think just uh, yeah. I mean, I was one of those you know to be candid, I was one of those people short uh, GME calls back then. On the first one, because you know, you, you never saw something like that really before. I mean, the last time you had that big of a squeeze on the gamma side was probably in Tilray when it went from like 40 to 300. 300 was the high, yeah, back in 2018. Um, yeah, so you haven't really seen that kind of you know big squeeze out in a very long time. So yeah, the stage is it's the stage is, is set for some action. I think if you're a short-term kind of trader, I think just you know you got to be careful. Obviously, uh, risk is your first and foremost thing uh, in these cases. But yeah, um, but oil is pretty. Let's, let's move on to oil a little bit. <clears throat> just like uh, yields, very very volatile today. Energy down quite a bit. Oil was down, pulling up right now. Uh, quite a bit. We, you know, we we moved down about four to three dollars on the front month future there. So so not a meager move by by any means. Uh, you saw the Russell also be a, a relative laggard today because of the oil move. Uh, what are you thinking, Jack? 
Uh, yeah, it's just a sea of red I'm seeing. I'm seeing Exxon down 2.3%, XLE, the ETF that owns a lot of oil companies, down 2.7%, uh, Brent down, WTI down. The curve ex- um, becoming slightly less in backwardation, uh, meaning that the spread between uh, farther, you know, like uh, futures such as 2023 and uh, the, the front month is is narrowing, which is not a good sign. Backwardation is good, but the fact that it's becoming less backwardated is a cause for concern. We actually have a, a, a clip to show you because here on Oil Week uh, today, the interview was between Warren Pies and Michael Cow, and Warren Pies made a really interesting point that the drawdowns you have in the oil market are exacerbated during. When the futures curve is in, in is in contango, and they are very moderate relatively when they are in backwardation. So let's take a look. Eighty percent of oil's spot gains have come during periods of backwardation, as we measure uh, term structure. the The other big thing that we uh, that that we were able to deduce from looking at term structure is that your downside is capped. So when you're in backwardation. Your ma- average max drawdown, this goes back to 2008, so we're not going all the way back to the 90s with this study, but from 2008 forward, your average max drawdown during periods of backwardation is about 18.7%. During periods of contango, it's about 48.7%. So there's obviously something important going on when you see uh, these the term structure moving from contango to backwardation and then back again. In my position, the way I say it is, this is a management tool. The curve is a management tool of the market, and what it's doing is it's shifting around in ways to incentivize oil to either go into storage, which means off the prompt market, or onto the prompt market out of storage. So that was a really interesting interview with Warren uh, on the essential tier of Real Vision. I I had no idea that the drawdowns actually happen when the market is in contango like that on the oil side. And it actually makes kind of a lot of sense why that would happen. Jack, I, I think you and I might be thinking the same thing. Do you want to explain why oil drawdowns might be higher in contango versus backwardation? Yeah, so it seems uh, it seems like contango is a bullish thing, right? When the price of oil to buy in 2023 is higher than now, that means the market thinks it's going to go up, right? Well, no. What Warren is saying is that future prices, the market doesn't care about what it's indicating that it thinks. It's just reflecting supply and demand. And basically, backwardation, when the price is below, the future price is below the spot price, that is bullish because that means that there's a huge demand now for oil. We need those barrels now. You know, Refiners are like, this spread, is, people are driving so much. They're they're flying their cars so much. They're building all these new rolls ro- ro- uh, roads. They need heating oil. We need this oil now, so the price goes up. So what the market does is it's, it essentially moves de- it moves demand throughout the curve from the 2023 to the to the spot price, and that it's like a, a tube of toothpaste. It's like a wave that rolls forward, and that's why the price that is high uh, that that is now the spot price or the front month future is higher than a uh, than a later future. That's why it is generally. Bullish. There's a beautiful chart that uh, I think I posted on Twitter, but it's from the interview. M- by the way, so Michael Cow and Warren Pies, they were interviewing each other, but I, I got to moderate the debate and really be a fly on the wall, which was a true pri- privilege for me. And to be honest, anyone who's a Real Vision member and can can also be a fly on the wall and just just watch the interview. It's, it was one of my favorites. And but anyway, Michael Cow has a chart of the spread between the different. Uh, distillates of oil, the, where, where refiners turned crude oil into. So it's heating oil, it's uh, natural gas, 
um, it's, it's, it's gasoline, I should say, and then jet fuel. And jet fuel is the slowest to recover, indicating that uh, you know one of the industries that is hardest hit is is the airline industry. Um, uh, so on the Real Vision Exchange, I just want to bring a comment from Brad S. Now, Brad is uh, Weston. You do exchanging lanes with Brad. Brad is you know very well knowledgeable of what's going on underlying in the U.S. economy. He is a uh, uh, logistics driver, I believe, and he put a comment on the Real Vision Exchange to our uh, post this morning. Looking over the TSA throughput numbers, they are still down compared to 2019. I'm assuming they will continue to put downward pressure on the price of jet fuel versus RBOB to the upside with refineries having to switch over to winter blend fuel by September 15th. I believe that is the date. Could see a quick spike up in gasoline prices with increasing driving this year compared to historical driving flying patterns as refineries shut down and retool for winter gasoline. That is a really interesting point. Like We're coming into that UV. We're we're coming into that UV spread on um, September Arbob, and you know it's been bid up for quite a while. And actually, sorry, here, what is the UV spread and what is Arbob? Can you explain that? Sorry, Arbob is uh, gasoline. It's the it's the futures contract for refined gasoline, and the UV spread on the Arbob contract would be the price difference between the September contract and the November contract. And that difference would basically, if it was a positive difference, reflect positive demand. And you've actually seen you you've been seeing the UV September November contract kind of bid up. Um, so I think what Brad is is talking about might might really play out here. Yeah, uh, Weston, if if you don't mind, I have to say I've been speaking to a lot of professionals in the oil space. They currently work in oil, or they used to work on the Goldman Sachs commodities decks, and then started their own fund. I've I've been speaking to probably seven oil people, and I'm very impressed that. Sorry, what's the person of the name? What's this person's name? Uh, here? Brad. Brad, Brad knows all the terminology, like talking about the heating oil and the retooling. He's very, you love and doing your research. So, so that's impressive. Peter, thank you for reminding us that we do have questions. We've got a ton of questions. Um, Prius Omega wants to know, I'd like to hear his opinion on gold versus the 10-year. Um, I'm going to take that to mean the nominal yield, but you could also take it as the, as the, as the real yield. Peter, you want to take that one? Uh, sure. So, you know, gold obviously trades inversely with real yields. And, uh, you know, if, if, if real yields are going to continue to trade lower here and they're going to be negative, they can't really be, uh, you know, a, a really positive headwind. I think one thing, you know, this is something that my friend um, here in Boston, his name is Chris Argeropel. Uh, if you went to school at BC or whatever, if you're from the Boston area, you probably heard of Chris. He mentioned, he proposed the idea that for the first time in history, you might see above average inflation with the yields going lower, which really would create a lot of you know divergences, et cetera, which what we've kind of been seeing, you could have a strong economy with yields going lower with a really strong Federal Reserve policy. So I think that the idea that real yields go lower, that should be your benchmark for gold. But if real yields go lower in a strong economy, I can't imagine gold not going higher, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, as we approach a close, I've got to just ask a question to Weston, which is that the, it's a question about Robinhood. What do you think the trade is? For uh, January and February, it was buying these calls, no matter how overvalued they were. Then you had a, a resurge uh, you know, in, in May, June in, in AMC. But for a very long time, Weston, I mean, three months, not a very long time, but for three months, 
these speculators, these people have been buying calls. They've just been they've been wasting premium into the air, buying these out of the money calls, wasting their gamma that just evaporates into thin air, and it's been a bad trade. The the trade for the past two and a half months, Weston has been to sell volatility, whether it's calls or puts, and probably covered calls. So what's the trade here for you, Weston? You you've you know navigated equity derivatives markets for you know over a decade, and you have been very active in these markets. So what's the what's the trade? Um, I. Look, I can't, I can't like speak on a specific trade um, for Robinhood, the underlier, because the the dynamics could shift so much so quickly. Like you know um, how how the flows work and all that. What I would say is that um, I think that this is not going to just the market is not going to just like restrain itself. Uh, this is going to just keep pushing and pushing until um, you know brokers like the like Robinhood can no longer. Um, meet their margin calls. The same sort of story we see playing. You know, we saw this movie before in January. Something's going to have to happen, um, and something's going to have to break, in and and stop that because it's not going to just infinitely go on. Um, and uh, it, it, like Robinhood is already has uh, not not just Robinhood either, but they they have very limited capacity to be able to, you know, service these sort of leveraged uh, um, trades. So. When that happens, you're going to get a pull out of the meme stock sort of, you know, uh, theme, if you will. And so I would be positioned long uh, crypto in anticipation and just sit back and let this kind of play out however long it does. And then when it crashes, that flow is going to go into crypto uh, as it was on its way to this week, had it not been kind of interrupted by the uh, Robinhood you know, uh, volatility or, or options trading sort of um, step in. So I would just, you know, just sit there, um, be long. You know, doesn't really cost you anything, obviously. Um, crypto's off its highs um, of the range, and then you can, you know, just watch this happen, and then be ahead of the, um, you know, long have front run the, the the flow that's gonna, what I believe is gonna, you know, eventually find its way back to uh, crypto. A lot to think about. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Uh, Peter, Weston, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to see the work that Peter and Weston do, we've, we're going to share some link, uh, links in the uh, clip below, in the text below, uh, where you can see Weston's note. You can see how they've been tracking price action throughout the week. I should also note, this is Oil Week. Uh, today, Warren Pies and Michael Cow. that's on the Essential tier. You have to be an Essential member to watch that. Tomorrow, I interviewed an old hand of the oil uh, world named Bob Yager. That is also one of my favorite interviews. And then on Friday, we're wrapping it up with uh, the All-Stars, Tony Greer, veteran oil trader who was banging the drum in February. Uh, he's talking to Tracy Shuchart. So that airs on Friday. We'll also include a link in the description below. Um, so if you're not a member, you, you can sign up to watch those interviews. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. Thank you, Weston. And thank you, everyone at home, for watching. Have a good night. Thank you. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.